welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. It's really interesting as a parent to, to watch your kids grow up. But you know, one of the things I remember I'd, I'd hear from parents but didn't really understand until I experienced it myself was, was how you can see yourself in your kids and, and how that will often cause you to, to revisit your childhood, to, to re-examine things. I'm not talking about when, when parents live vicariously through their kids. That's, that's not healthy for anyone, especially the kids. But <clears throat> what I'm talking about is being able to remember things, and but seeing it from a, from a more adult perspective, uh, to see things uh, in a new way. So, for example, <clears throat> I remember when I was a kid, I was always on the move. I was running around as, as much as I could. And, and it wasn't because I loved the, the feel of the wind through my hair. I had much less hair back then in terms of length. But, uh, but I just loved running. I just loved the speed of it. And, and so I remember thinking that at, looking at adults and thinking, why don't they run more? Why, why do they move so slowly? And now I have my answer. Now, now I know. You, you reach middle age, and it's not, it's not as easy anymore to run like I used to as a kid. But the other thing about watching my kids is, is it's caused to remember some things that I, I did, some good and and some not so good. And and so let me just take a moment right now because I'm sure my mom and dad are watching. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the pain, the grief I caused you. Uh, I, I apologize. I, I understand now more as a, as, a, as a parent, as an adult than I then. But, but one of the things I used to do as a kid is, is I, I would lie. I would lie. And, and I, I have to I say, I'm shocked and embarrassed by how easily I would do that. It, 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 it would just come out. And, and apparently not very well because my mom would often catch me in those lies. But, but if, it, if I was ever in trouble, if I was ever doing something that I shouldn't be doing and I was scared of being found out, I would lie. It was definitely my, my go-to move. And, and it didn't matter that, you know, I had, I had, you know, cookie all over my face and chocolate on my nose. And, and when I would speak, the cookie dust would actually, you know, spray out. That didn't matter. I, I still was afraid. I was still nervous about being caught. And, and so I would lie because the alternative, the alternative was, was terrifying to me. See, I, I was so afraid of the disappointment and the shame that it would bring. And it's not necessarily that my parents or anyone would, would place that on me. It's that's what I would feel myself. That's what I would feel within. And so I, I didn't want to lose that reputation of being the good kid or being a good kid. And, and so I didn't want to be found out. And so the, the moment that, that it seemed like that was in jeopardy, a lie seemed to be the easiest way out. And so it was just so easy to come out. What I didn't know then is how... The, the price that lying would pay, that, that it, would, it would eventually, it would compromise my integrity. And, and so that's really what we want to speak about this morning, integrity. You know, I've been pondering this, this word for, for a couple of weeks and preparing for this morning. And, and it was interesting to notice some of the reactions I had to this word especially when I started to kind of look into what, are, what does integrity mean? What are some definitions for it? So I'm going to give you some definitions, and I just want you to just notice what feelings stir up inside of you when, when you begin to hear these definitions. So here are some definitions of integrity. The difference between doing what is right, between what is convenient, or living without anything to hide, or behaving with honor, even when nobody is watching, or always living what you preach? Did it, did it sting you as much as it stung me? I, I know in particular those last two just, just caused sometimes a little, sometimes a lot of cringing on inside of me. Because when I, when I think about that, when I think about you know, what it means to, to how I'm living when no one's watching, or practicing, always practicing what you preach, I, I feel like a hypocrite. I feel like a total failure in that sense. And, and I know, and I have to keep telling myself, I know that, that nobody, especially pastors, nobody lives to the degree to which they teach. 
Because if they do, then they're not teaching the gospel. Because think about it. What is the gospel? The gospel isn't just trust Jesus for salvation. It's trust Jesus each and every moment. It's trusting Jesus and not in your own strength so that Jesus lives through you. That's the gospel. Well, I don't know anybody that does that perfectly. I mean, if Sue Summer doesn't do that perfectly, no one's going to do it perfectly. And so no one always does it all the time. And so if you, if you do actually practice what you preach all the time, you're not teaching the gospel. And so I know that in my head, that we're all going to struggle, we're all going to make mistakes. But it doesn't stop me from feeling like the biggest hypocrite when it comes to talking about integrity. Because I feel so unqualified because of that voice of shame that, that's screaming at me, who am I to speak on this topic this morning? See, here's a, a brief list of some of my greatest failures. The, the fact that I struggle with, with anger towards my kids. That, that when they're not doing anything wrong, I will, I will snap at them and just begin to shut them down. Or, or practicing do as I say, not as I do. Or, or the moodiness that I'll often exhibit towards my family, in particular to, to Joy. Ask her about last night and... Never, don't ask her about last night. In fact, that's better off. Or, or choosing the path of least resistance so that I get my own selfish comfort rather than loving others and doing what's in their best interest. Having lustful thoughts. Being, being critical and having harsh attitudes towards others, especially with my words and if they don't agree with me. Or having doubts. Having, having doubts about God and, and, and am I really that loved? Is this really true? Is he really alive in me? Does he really care about me? Is he really enough to provide everything I need? Am I really okay? Or, or in my darkest moments, listening to some Justin Bieber songs from time to time. I know, I know. Don't, please don't judge me. Please don't judge me. At least he is a brother in the Lord. I'll say that. But it's easy to feel like a hypocrite whenever you're talking about a topic like integrity because I know all my failures and sins. And, and the re what's amazing to me is how quickly we'll take this and turn this into a law. We'll turn it into some kind of a standard, some kind of a, a measure to determine how good am I? How, how am I doing? Am I, am I okay? And, and the reason we do that is because we're all having that constant question. We all need to know the answer. Am I, be, am I worthy of being loved? And that, that's a question everyone has. And it's not just something that you solve one day and they go, well, problem solved, answered, move on. Because it's a question I need to know every day. It's a question I need to know every moment to the same degree I need to breathe or I need to eat or I need to sleep. It's not like I have one meal and everything's great for six years. I need to keep eating. I need to keep sleeping. I need to keep breathing. In the same way, I got to keep knowing, keep answering the question, am I worthy of being loved? And so that, that leads to a bunch of other questions, such as, am I enough for others? Am I doing enough? Am I capable of doing what others expect of me? Or should I be doing more? Am I too much? Am I, have I pushed my agenda or my opinion on others too much? Have I, have I said too much? Am I too quiet? Am I too needy? All kinds of questions that are trying to answer the question, am I worthy of being loved? And, and so it's so easy to be, begin to examine our own behavior to determine the answer to that question. Except in doing so, by comparing ourselves with other people or against other standards, what we're doing is we're placing ourselves under the law. And in doing that, we're guaranteeing failure because at some point it won't be enough because more is always required. Better is always the option. And so once I fail, and it's guaranteed to fail, you'll be flooded with that sense of shame, of rejection, of condemnation because it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be enough. We're always going to come up short. And, and, and we do this or at least it feels like we're doing it to ourselves, but the reality is it's the enemy who's doing it to us. See, we need to recognize there's another voice going on in our head. 
There's someone that's always there to attack, always there to, to put up a law, to put up a standard, to tear you down with afterwards when you fail. And that's the voice of the flesh. It's ever present in our minds, always trying to place you back under that law, always trying to get you to measure your value and your worth in the degree to which you're loved based on your performance. And arguing against the simple truth, the gospel, that says because you're in Jesus, you're enough. Because you're in Jesus, you're loved. Because you're in Jesus, you're a new creation that is holy and righteous and pure. So that's the truth. So this morning, as we, as we talk about this topic of integrity, don't think of it as a standard of you trying to measure up to. Instead, what I want you to think of it is think about it as an invitation from Jesus to experience freedom. Because that's really what it is, that, that when you and I live lives of integrity, we're growing in our maturity and we're experiencing more rest and more peace. As I pondered this word, I, I, I said, okay, God, give me, give me a word picture of what, what integrity means, what it looks like, to, to kind of explain what you're inviting us into. And, and the picture he gave me was that of a mountain. So I want you to think about this, this what a mountain is. A mountain is something that's, that's rock solid. A, a mountain is something that's not easily shaken. It, it's not something that's, that's moved or, or upset in any way. A, a mountain's not impacted by COVID. It's not impacted by the state of the world affairs. It's not fearful of the various conspiracy theories out there. It's not, it's not worried at all. A, a mountain doesn't worry about what other mountains think of it. It's okay. And it doesn't matter if it's large or small. A mountain is just at peace with itself. And I think that's the gift of integrity. That, that you don't have that fear of, of, of lo- having to look over your shoulder. You're, you're not worried about being caught and being found out. You're, you're not worried about measuring up or if you're doing enough. Instead, it's just resting in who you are. Resting in something that is solid and unshakable. So that's the invitation that I think Jesus has for us when it comes to living with integrity, living lives of integrity. So let's read our passage for this morning. It's going to be Ephesians 5, verse 25. If you've got your Bibles, open it up to that passage, and let's read it together. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You know what, what I'm feeling when I talk about this topic of integrity and how the enemy wants to, to undermine what you want to say and, and tell me that I'm disqualified. And, and the truth is, I am in that sense. I've got many failures under my belt. But the good news is, Lord Jesus, you've forgiven me. And you've forgiven all of us of our failures. And what you're wanting to do now is, is rather than run from this, this message, run from the topic of integrity, You want us to trust you with it because ultimately you living through us will be lies of integrity. It's because we have you in us that we can trust you to experience this. And so Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you will bless each and every one of us as we grow in our maturity, as we grow in living in this integrity. In your name we pray, amen. Well, verse 25 begins with the word therefore. And, and whenever you're studying the scriptures, it's really important to notice uh, uh, to notice whenever you see this word, whenever you see the word therefore, because what's happening is the writer is he's making a conclusion based on what he just previously had said. So it's not a separate thought. It's not a new idea. Instead, it's connected to what was what that previous thought was. So as the saying goes, whenever you see the word therefore, you always need to see what it's there for. So we're going to briefly go back and cover what we looked at last time in verses 20 to 24. And I make no apologies for reviewing this. And the reason for it, because what Paul said in those verses is so critical. It's so important. Remember, we said it's it's the truth. And it was this truth sandwich that Paul was giving to us. And so it's really important for us to understand that truth in order to apply what he's going to say in verse 25. So remember, what was the truth that he was emphasizing? The truth was that, the, the, that Jesus, had what he had accomplished and what he had finished on the cross. 
that because of what happened there, regardless of, of your level of maturity, regardless of your feelings, regardless of your choices and your behavior, even regardless of your understanding, the moment you accepted Jesus, the moment you, you, take, you, you accepted his gift of salvation, he included you in himself on that cross. And because of that, because you were on that cross, you were crucified with him. And therefore, we were able to lay aside the old life. You laid aside the old self, and you were able to put on a new self. You became a new person. And we saw that, <clears throat> that Paul wasn't giving an instruction. He wasn't giving a command. In fact, he's going to give a command in verse 25, but in verse 20 to 24, it wasn't a command. It was more information. He was informing us of what was happening. He informed us that the old is gone, that we are a new person, and that we are presently being renewed. Our mind is being renewed by the Holy Spirit. And he's doing that work. And he's teaching us who we are today so that now we can apply it. And, and so that, that phrase of having put off and having laid aside or, or having put on or having you know, this new self is, is an invitation to experience something else. And so now that we're into verse 25, he uses that phrase, put off again, or this idea of putting off again, but now it's, it's not about who you are, but now more about the behaviors. And that we're putting off some old behaviors and we're getting to put on new behaviors. We get to live differently than who we were because of the transformation that God's done in our hearts already. So this, this idea of put off and put on is actually, it's referring to essentially what you would do with a garment, that you would put off a garment and put on a new one. So we might think of it in that sense, that these behaviors, these old behaviors and new behaviors are essentially these garments that we could wear. And, and so what he's basically saying is that these old garments don't apply anymore. Let, let me illustrate it to you this way. When I, when I first started playing ice hockey, uh, I, I was actually in, in university. Growing up, I, I would spend all my days, you know, playing any kind of sport I could outside. But the one we played the most was road hockey because we're, we're good Canadians. And, and I was the goalie because there's nothing like getting hit by, you know, an object being fired at you and just think, well, that's fun. Let's do it again. Right? Especially if it's in the head because then it's not going in the net. Anyway, so, so I was the goalie and I loved playing it and I always wanted to play ice hockey. But because of where we were and with our family and our situation, we just couldn't, we couldn't afford the time and the money. And so I never got to do that until I got to university. And so I spent first year university just learning how to skate, going to, to using the free ice, you know, every week that I could. And then when I got to second year university, I bought a bunch of used equipment and started playing ice hockey. And, and I had this T-shirt, this one T-shirt in particular. It was from the, the University of Michigan, Go Wolverines, where my, two of my cousins went. But I remember having this navy blue T-shirt from Michigan, and that was the shirt I wore underneath uh, my equipment. And it became my hockey shirt. And so, you know, I'd store it in my bag and, and wash it at least, at least every six months I would wash it. And, and so it'd sit there, and, and over time believe it or not, the shirt would begin to break down. It'd wear, wear out. So it'd start with little holes here and there, and then those holes would become little tears, and those tears would become bigger tears. And, and it was just, it was, it was getting bad. I mean, it, it got to the point where it took, the, the longest part of equipment it took to put on was my shirt. Because I had to hold it up and figure out what hole was which. That, was this the armhole? Was this the neck hole? And and, and it got, it was really bad. I mean, by the end, it was so ripped. It had so many holes. It, was, it wasn't doing anything. But I couldn't get rid of it. It was like some kind of superstition, I guess. I don't know. I just, I just didn't want to part from it. And, and again, even the other people in the, in the locker room were making fun of me of it. But I kept it. It was old and it was useless, but it was familiar. And then eventually, eventually, I laid it aside. Eventually, I put it off. And I put on a brand new shirt. I remember feeling how warm it was actually that first time wearing that new shirt. Now, I didn't immediately throw out the old shirt. I kept it in my hockey bag for I don't know how many years afterwards. But, but there's a similar idea here in that my old hockey shirt is ripped and as torn and as, 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 as ratty as it was. That's like our old behaviors, the fleshly behaviors. And we can hold on to it. We can still put it on from time to time. And, and the challenge and the invitation is to lay it aside, to not wear it anymore, and instead to put on a new shirt, 
a new garment, a new way of behaving. Because the reality is this new way is far more appropriate than the old way. See, the old garments might be things such as, as drinking excessively. It might be things like manipulation and, and controlling other people. It might be pushing other people away, staying guarded and withdrawn. It might be criticizing others so that you can feel better about yourself. We, we see this a lot, and particularly women, when they criticize other women so they can feel better about themselves. We don't have to do that anymore. Because the reality is those, those clothes, those garments, they don't really fit you anymore. They're out of style. They're out of fashion. Instead, there's another wardrobe, another way, another set of clothes to put on that do fit you. And, and that's the character of God. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And, and the reality is those clothes, those new garments, they actually fit your heart. They fit your desire to, to be a good spouse, to be a good parent, to be a good friend to be a good employee, to be a good boss, to be a good person. That's what we desire. That's what we crave to do. And, and so this person of high character is going to be expressing the life of Jesus. And that's what brings us to verse 25 and living with integrity. See, I find it, I find it very instructive, actually, that this is the first thing Paul starts with. That, that he's going to talk about a list of different behaviors and, and, and give commands of how we're to live now in light of this, but he starts with integrity. And so I, I thought about that, of, of laying aside our falsehoods and beginning to speak with truth. Why did he start there? And I think it's because it's so crucial to life, that, that we need integrity, especially when it comes to relationship, but really to every aspect of life, but relationship in particular. Be it with our families, be it with our friends, be it with coworkers, with customers, with clients, with strangers, and even with those who are against you. Integrity matters. Integrity is critical. You see, the amount of integrity you show will ultimately determine the amount of trust that is given to you. And that's so important because without trust, there can be no love. And without love, there can be no relationship. So, so integrity is the, is the foundation that trust is built upon that a love, allows love to flow. Think about it. If you, if you don't act with integrity, then people aren't going to trust you. And if they don't trust you, then they're not going to be able to receive love from you. And if they can't receive or offer love to you, then there's no relationship now. We see that in our world all the time. In fact, one of the struggles we have with so many of our political leaders is that we feel like we, they, they don't act with integrity, and therefore it's hard to trust them. And then when they suggest things to us, we have all kinds of questions about them because we don't trust them, and there's, there's so little relationship now going on. It's, it's why, why we tell our kids that no matter what they've done, we want them to be honest with us. That, that lying to us about what they've done is actually always worse than what they've done because that lying will, will begin to erode or even destroy that trust, which means that it's going to be difficult for that love to flow back and forth. So integrity matters. Integrity matters and is so critical in every relationship, but especially in the relationship you have with yourself. See, integrity, what it does is it gives you peace and rest especially when you go to sleep at night. See, it's, it's oft, often been said that, that only guilty men sleep in jail. You see, the reason is because up till that moment, up to their arrest, they were always waiting to be caught. They're always looking over their shoulder, always wondering, is this the day? Is this the day I'm found out? Is this the day they capture me? And the moment they're caught, the moment they're arrested, they can finally rest. They can finally have peace because they're not worried about it anymore. Their worst nightmare has, has, has is ended or has begun, I guess, in that sense, because, you know, they don't have to worry about it happening anymore. And so they just, they can sleep in prison. They can sleep in jail. Whereas the innocent man, his nightmare is just beginning. He's all that stress, all that anxiety starting now. And it's like, oh, now what? Now what do I do? How do I get out of this? And so innocent people can't rest because they've been caught off guard. And so there's something about not having to worry about being caught, found out or being caught that just brings peace. So what does it mean to then live or act with integrity? Well, let's start by looking at the word that Paul used. Paul used the word falsehoods. 
And in the Greek, the word there is suedos. It, it, it literally means fake or false. It's, it's where we get the word pseudonyms from, right? And a pseudonym is a false name or a fake name. Or you get pseudoscience or, or pseudomusic, also known as country music. E even the word suede. The word suede is just a fancy way of saying pseudo. And, and it, it's what we call fake leather and so forth, right? It's just something that's not real. And so Paul says, we're laying aside what's, what's fake. We're laying aside what's false, what's not real, in order to live in a healthy way. So, so what are some of those falsehoods? What are some of those things that lack integrity? Well, we see it in our world in obvious ways. We see it in the amount of lying that happens, especially on social media, right? Where, where people put forward an image or a brand based on how they manipulate the images or uh, on what they're saying and so forth that doesn't really represent the truth. We see it when people cheat on their taxes, when they, when they hide some things from the government and they don't pay their fair share. Or we see it when, when people cheat to, in, in business practices and cheat their customers. I remember when I was in, in school going through, uh, going through co-op and on one of my work terms, working at a company that built the, the cans for, for soda drinks. So they would, you know, Coke cans and iced tea cans and so forth. And I remember what they would do is they had a contract with Coca-Cola to produce the cans at a particular thickness. Well, the reality is, you know, a big cost of, of the can was in the material. And so if they can make that material can thinner, then they could pocket some money. But they would violate the contract. And so what would happen is they would have this game where they would constantly thin it out until they get caught. And then once they got caught, they're like, oh, you're right, we'll pay a fine. And, and they'd go back to making it the proper thickness until eventually they'd make a little bit of a run and gamble that they could sneak it past Coca-Cola without getting caught. And, and it was just about cheating the customer to make a little bit more money. We see it in false advertising. We, we see it in, in double, double standards, especially when we, we judge ourselves by our motives, but we judge others by, by their actions. So I failed, but I meant well. But you failed, and therefore you're a horrible person. We, we see it in the scams that people have, trying to fraud people from money. Uh, lying to our spouse. Lying to our family, our friends. Lying to our parents when I was a kid. I would do that. Um, especially when, we, like, where were you last night? Who are you with? Or what were you up to? Or, or what happened? Who did this? Or even the embellishment we do on resumes or, or telling stories where we just sort of, you know, color the truth a little bit, shade it a little bit, just, just put a little spin on it to make myself appear a little bit better than I really am. White lies, the little lies that we tell, that we then say it's okay for telling us. All of those things are, are ways that we act without integrity. And there, there's so many more, but there's, there's one way in particular that I want to focus in on this morning. And I, and I kind of I wonder if this was the one that Paul actually had in mind when he was thinking about it. And, and the one is, is the most common lie that's told across, across the globe. And in fact, they've, they've kind of, I don't know if it's a joke, but it's, I think there's some truth to it. The most common lie told happens every Sunday morning at every church. And, and it's to the question... How are you doing? And, and what's the most common answer? I say, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, 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 I'm fine. Hey, I'm, I'm fine. When the truth is, I'm not. I'm feeling broken. That's the reality of it. But we, don't, we don't tell the truth. We don't, we don't come out. But the reality is the integrity means being honest with those around me. It means that... I don't wear a mask. I don't put on the mask that says everything is okay, everything is fine, when inside I'm struggling, I'm dying, and it's not okay. So why, why don't we be more honest? Why don't we tell people what we're going through? And the answer is shame. See, deep down, we all desire and we all crave to be known. We all crave that, that you would know everything about me to be fully known. That's what we crave. But, and we know that because, because it, 
to know that is what allows that love and that relationship to flow. See, if you don't fully know me, you can't really love me. See, I see this all the time where, where, where people experience love, but I could see it in their face. I could see it in their eyes where they're, they're taking that love and they say in their mind, well, if you really knew me, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't feel this about me. And so I'm going to just put this love aside here and it won't really apply to me. But that's nice that you would say that. That's nice that you would think that, but it's not really true. And, and so we don't, we don't allow it in because we think if you knew me the way I know me. And so we desire to be fully known because if you really knew everything, if you knew all the junk about me and you still loved me, then that's love. And so that requires that integrity of being honest. Remember, integrity leads to trust and trust leads to love and that love leads to relationship. And we're built to experience God's love. We're built to need God's love, and he's designed it so that we would experience it from one another, that we'd experience it through the church. So why is it so hard then? Why is it so hard to be that honest and that vulnerable with one another? Against it's shame. That voice of shame that's constantly, constantly screaming at me and spreading the fear that if, if you knew if you knew those things about me, you knew my struggles, you'd reject me. That, that I, I wouldn't be allowed to be around you anymore. That you'd know all my secrets and that you would, you would be disgusted by me, really. You, you might even question my salvation. You'd most certainly be disappointed in me. And you would be really unimpressed with who I am. And so that voice of, of, of shame, it's, it's not telling me the truth, it's, but it's telling me these lies. It's saying, you got to run. You got to hide. You got to withdraw. You, you, can't, you can't go to these people because it knows. It knows that's the answer. It knows that the moment you begin to speak the truth about yourself, the truth about your struggles, then that's when the healing can begin. Because that's when you can begin to experience hope. But here's what happens. We don't, we don't do that. Instead, we, we, buy, we buy the lies that shame's telling us, and we listen to it. And so we get more desperate for love and acceptance. It's like I'm hungry, but I'm afraid to ask for a meal, and so I, I don't eat, and I just get more and more hungry. And to the point where I get extra desperate that I'll eat anything. I'll eat garbage now. And so because I'm desperate for love and acceptance, but I'm not, I'm not willing to trust that you'll, you'll do it. I'm not willing to trust that you'll actually love me. So I withdraw. I, I pull away. And then I begin to act out. I make, I make bad choices. I get really desperate and I behave poorly and I give in to sin. And, but, but hopefully no one finds out. And because no one found out, I feel like I might have gotten away with it. And I'm not proud of it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not happy with myself, but, but I, I got away with it, and I'll, I'll never do it again. I'll, never, I'll, I'll, I'll do better. Except I still don't tell on myself. I still don't come out and, and be honest with others, and so I, my hunger grows. And then I think, well, I, I, I got away with it last time, and, and nobody was hurt, really. It was really a victimless crime, and... So I, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it again, just one more time, just, just this time. And then again, and then again, and then again. Not realizing the price that I pay every time, the price that my soul pays. Because sin always leads to us experiencing death, more emptiness. And, and, and little sins, they eventually become bigger sins. Small lies become larger lies. Moments of bad choices become habits of destruction. And little struggles become bigger struggles. And those small hurts become bigger hurts. And they begin to impact more people around us than we could ever imagine. A great picture of this is really the story of, of David and, and Bathsheba and Uriah. Everyone forgets about Uriah. I mean, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, but he ends up murdering a Uriah. 
See, it didn't start off as murder. You know, David's sin, is it all started off with, with him just not showing up to work. So the passage begins that it was a time when kings went off to war, meaning David should have been with his men. Instead, he was at home. And he was up on that roof, and, and he notices Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. And then he starts to lust after her, and he begins to make plans, and he invites her over and eventually sleeps with her, and every sin is getting worse. And at any point in time, he couldn't have gotten off of it. Imagine, imagine if that first sin, he, he pulls a, a confidant or Nathan the prophet aside and says, listen, this is what I've done. I'm struggling. Will you help me? Could have saved a whole lot of heartache because he didn't, because he tried to self-protect, because he had to now hide his sin with more lies and more sin. He eventually murders Uriah. And because of that, because he murdered Uriah, his, his home, his family would always have destruction under it. It would always be under some kind of chaos. It would never have any kind of peace turmoil and unrest. You see, those little sins lead to bigger sins. Those little hurts always lead to bigger hurts. It just keeps getting worse. And it got worse because David tried to handle it himself. He didn't invite others to help protect him. Because the reality is, you and I, we can't self-protect ourselves in these moments. And while your, your sin may not eventually you know, culminate in murder like David's case, it will only get worse. It'll only lead you on a downward cycle. Because the reality is, shame multiplies in isolation. Let me say that again. Our shame, the shame you're struggling with, the voices you're hearing that just put you down and condemn you and cause you to want to run and hide, it gets worse when you do that gets worse in isolation. That's why shame's telling us and threatening us not to tell others. Because it knows. It knows the moment you begin to reach out to someone who's trustworthy, the moment you begin to tell on yourself with someone who's good, that it begins to break the power that shame has on you. That, that the hurts and the brokenness and the fears and the sin, they begin to lessen. Because the reality is shame's power is broken when light is shone on it. When light is shone into our struggle. Because in that moment now, through this other person, I can begin to hear the voice of God better. I can begin to hear what's truth. I can begin to hear what God says about me and who I am. And I can begin to risk believing it. And I can begin to step out from under that weight of shame. And there's healing and there's hope. There's freedom. There's peace here. Because ultimately what we find is love and acceptance. Where the worst of us is known, but we're still loved. In fact, we're not loved less, but we're loved more. And that's, that's what a community of grace offers. That's why we need a community of grace. And that's what Paul's doing in this passage. He's giving us a way out in our struggles. So since, since we've laid aside the falsehoods, again, that's not the command. The command actually is in the word speak. And, it, and it's a command, but it's also an invitation. Speak the truth. The truth of what's going on. Not just the truth of what God says about you, but speak the truth of your struggles. Speak the truth of what you're going through. Be honest with one another. And, and not just when you're questioned about, you know, who stole the cookie from the cookie jar. But be honest when no one's asking. Be willing to, to speak out to one another. And what's beautiful in this passage is, is he says, each one of you. See, it's not just this, this global corporate speaking. It's rather each individual, each person is to be honest and truthful with their struggles. Or, last half of the verse, or, here's the conclusion. This is what made me think. I wonder if this is exactly what Paul was talking about. It wasn't just be honest and just speak truth all the time about, you know, when you, you know, who stole this, who did that. But really, 
be honest with one another because he says, for we are members of one body. He's, he's linking it to this idea that, that you are surrounded with people. You're surrounded with a community that wants to love you, that wants to protect you, that wants to look after you. Because the reality is if one member of the body struggles, we all struggle. And so will you allow us to share in your hurts? Will you allow us to share in what you're struggling with, to walk with you? That's what we need. It's why we spend so much time talking about a community of grace here. Because we need a group of people who you can share your thoughts and opinions with. That, that no matter how crazy you are, how crazy that your, your, your struggles are, what you share with them, you will be responded to with love and acceptance. That they don't have to necessarily agree with you, but they'll embrace you. So who do we, who do we share this with? Because the reality is not everyone, not, not even everyone in New Life Fellowship is trustworthy. Not everyone's uh, that mature yet because we're all still growing and, and, and some are more mature than others. And the reality is you don't need to share with everyone everything. It's not that you have to, you know, do a Facebook Live post and list all of your sins and all of your struggles. That's not what we're asking for. Instead, I think you need to find people. You need to find people who you can be honest with. And, and it may be wise that you don't share everything at, at first, right? It's not like this, you know, hi, nice to meet you, Dave. I, I, I like to open up and be honest with you. I have, I have a fungal issue and I've been struggling with it. I, I don't know if you need to do that in the introduction, is what I'm saying. Instead, what you can do is build up to it. And, and what's beautiful about this is it doesn't overwhelm the person, first off. But the other thing that it does is it allows you to find out who's trustworthy. It allows you to, to test. Say, so, okay, I, I, I told him this, and he didn't run. He didn't get disgusted with me. In, in fact, he, he said some encouraging words. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to try some more. And then you'd be a little bit more risky and, and be a bit more honest with that person and, and watch how they respond. And over time, you build up that relationship, you build up that trust, and now you have someone there to protect you when you need it. You see, the mistake we often do is we wait till we're in the crisis. We wait till everything's fallen apart, and then we try to reach out. But, and, and for some people, it's too late because there's no one there. You haven't fostered those relationships. But what we can do is, is we can be building those relationships, fostering those relationships, so that when, when the big moment happens, when the, the big struggle we've been dealing with or, or, or some other crisis that we didn't, didn't necessarily see coming comes our way, you've got that community of grace, people that you've been practicing integrity with, practicing honesty with, practicing vulnerability and openness with. And they're there to just love on you. And that love will flow, flow freely because of all the trust that you've built up, because of acting integrity. And, and here at New Life, I just, I just think we're so blessed with so many people of high integrity that are trustworthy. People that do such a great job of loving others. People like Arla and, and Megan and Lisa and Sue, and Sheila. It's only women, by the way, right? All the guys are miserable blokes. Don't, don't trust the men. No, just, 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 no, I'm just kidding. We got lots of great men as well. People like John, people like Jeremy, and, and, and the elders, and, and Barry. There, there are so many great men and women within New Life. And, and what, what we need to do now is risk some vulnerability with, with others. Risk being open with other people. And allow, allow God to, to, to begin to open our eyes to what he wants us to experience. Experience the freedom and the healing that's available. So maybe, maybe the next time, maybe, maybe when we're in person in, in two weeks, maybe when someone asks you how you're doing, you can give an honest answer. You can say, I'm... I'm, I'm 
I'm not doing great. I'm, uh, I'm struggling with something. And uh, I was wondering if I could share it with you. And I'm not looking for you to fix it or offer any kind of advice. I just, I just need to know someone, someone knows. And that, uh, that I'm okay. And you'll pray for me. Maybe, maybe you do that. And something beautiful happens in that moment. Something special happens because, because now you're known and you're loved. And really, what you're struggling with, well, to quote, to quote the four famous apostles, the Beatles, Ring, Paul, Ringo, George, and anyways, John, all you need is love. And in that moment, we get to experience it in a powerful way. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the invitation you give us to living lives of integrity. Because that integrity, it's for other people, but it's, it's for ourselves. It allows us to be honest with others. It allows us to live lives of, lives of, of fullness and, and purity. It allows us to live lives at peace and rest. It allows us to be honest. And allows you also to minister to us through, through the church, through the body. And it's hard and scary, but Father, I pray that, that Jesus would encourage us to do so and that we would risk trusting him to be people of integrity with others, with our struggles, with our successes, just in everyday life, knowing that that's where life is found, in you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, as, as we close here, uh, the worship team has, has one more song, and, and this is just goes to show how, how amazing God is in working. When Peter was, was sitting down, he was praying and thinking, what song should we play for, for worship? He chose this song, having no idea that what I'd be, be speaking on this morning. And, and it's just such a gift from, gift from God that, that God would do this, that he would choose this particular song. And, and when I heard it, I said, no matter what other songs you guys record, this one's coming after the worship because it's, it's just so, so good. And what was so beautiful is because I was already thinking, like, trying to figure out what song could we play because I knew there had to be a song after this message. But trying to figure out how do we navigate around, around uh, copyright laws and, and try to be integrity, have integrity, by the way. That was kind of funny. But, um, but this one's so good. So I, I, want you to, I want you to listen to this song because it's all about dropping masks and telling the truth of where you're at and what you're struggling with to allow the church, allow the body of Christ to share Jesus with you in the moment. Enjoy it. You're supposed to have it all together And when they ask how you're doing Just smile and tell them never better Lie number two Everybody's life is perfect except yours So keep your messes and your wounds And your secrets safe with you behind closed doors Say I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, hey, I'm fine, but I'm not. I'm broken when it's out of control. I say it's under control, but it's not. And you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it. Being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no fall, there's no sin you don't already know. So let the truth be told. Sunday morning. 
listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.